Hey fam, welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Happy New Year. Hope you're having a great start to 2023. Of course, I am your loving host, Dylan Bowman, joined today by Francesco Pupi, the Italian multidisciplinary runner for Nike, who I've long wanted to have on the show. Francesco is a great athlete, but he's also an awesome content creator, organizer, and leader within the professional ranks of the sport internationally. So it was great to finally sit down for a conversation. The reason we're doing it now, uh, the thing that motivated me to set this up when we did is the recent establishment of the new Pro Trail Runners Association, an organization aiming to preserve the values of trail running into the future and to advocate for the interests of the professional athletes globally. In addition to Killian Jornet and Pascal Egli, Francesco was part of the founding team and now serves on its board. So it was appropriate he joined me to explain the origin story, the mission, and the goals of the new organization. You may recall that Corinne Malcolm and I discussed this briefly on our end-of-year recap episode, so this is an expansion on the conversation we started there. We start talking about the Pro Trail Runners Association about 40 minutes into the conversation and spend the first part digging into the state of affairs in sub-ultra distance racing globally, something that Francesco is educated and passionate about as one of the best on the circuit. And we also talk about his 2022 season and his second place finish at the 40K race at the Trail and Mountain Running World Championships in Thailand back in November. We didn't talk about it in the pod, but Francesco is also a podcaster himself. He has a show called Running Long. He recently had Free Trail's own Ryan Thrower on as a guest, and you can find that in any podcast player. Just search Running Long. So go give Francesco a follow slash subscribe to his shows while you're listening to today's episode. Of course, the Free Trail Podcast is presented by Speedland. You all know this amazing trail equipment brand based in Portland, Oregon, the two-man startup that somehow manages to make better product than all the big brands who have all the people and resources in the world. Well, that's because Dave and Kevin are industry lifers, mega experienced and highly respected shoe dogs who identified trail running as the place they wanted to devote at least a long chapter of their professional careers. And it's in the spirit of trail running to support small businesses, support the brands that are investing in our sport specifically, and Speedland is very much that. The GS TAM is on pre-order now. The third commission in the Speedland arsenal, my signature shoe. It even has the Free Trail Signpost logo on it, and it can be yours. Pre-order is open now, and you can use code FREETRAIL10 to get 10% off your purchase. The GS TAM is due to ship in March, so just in time for your spring and summer racing plans in 2023. Visit runspeedland.com, follow runspeedland on Instagram. Finally, to Free Trail Pro members who are coming to our race at the Gorge Waterfalls in the spring, 30K, 50K, or 100K, we are now 12 weeks away, believe it or not. Like last year, we are hosting training calls on Zoom every Sunday afternoon for the next 12 weeks. So if you are a member of Free Trail Pro and coming to Gorge, we would love to have you. You'll find the Zoom link in the Gorge channel in the Free Trail Slack workspace this weekend. If you're not a Free Trail Pro member, come check it out. It's a great group of like-minded trail people doing awesome stuff in the world. Guaranteed you'll be inspired and make new friends. Membership is only $96 for the whole year, and there is a 30-day free trial. So come check it out. Link in the show notes. Hope you enjoy the convo with Francesco. See you in the outro. Francesco, welcome to the podcast. Nice to see you. Thanks, Dylan. It's uh, so nice to be here. Happy New Year. Where are you broadcasting from for the audience? Uh, where uh, Where is home base there for you? Yeah, I'm at home. I'm in Como, which is in northern Italy, right at the footstep of the Alps. Uh, it's a it's a great playground here. There's a big lake. George Clooney has a house uh, on Como <laughs> Lake. So, yeah. Um, it's been a very warm winter for us. Yeah. Uh, we got a, a little snow, but now it's all gone, Yeah, uh, which is good for running, but, uh, you know, it's not very good for the environment, but it's a little startling, isn't it? I've been yeah. reading the news about the heat wave on the European continent simultaneously. Yeah, it's, it's been unusually 
cold and wet in the American West too. So it's uh yeah, the climate seems to always be a ever evolving, strange, fickle, unpredictable thing in today's day and age. But that is a subject for a different conversation. <laughs> Today we're gonna talk all about you. We're gonna talk about your uh experience with trail running, your impact, your uh, sort of multi-dimensional impact that you're having on the sport. And specifically, we'll talk a lot about the Pro Trail Runners Association, which I teased on a recent podcast with Corinne Malcolm and that you were instrumental in founding. So you're going to give us a deep dive into what kind of stuff you guys are working on there. But first, Francesco, give a quick introduction to yourself for the audience. I've obviously followed you for a while, but there's probably a lot of people who will be listening for whom you are either a new name or or they don't have uh, a deep understanding of your story. So why don't you just give us a, a quick introduction to yourself? Of course. Yeah. So I'm Francesco Puppi. I'm from Italy. I'm 30 years old and uh, I'm a pro trail runner for Nike. Uh, I've been a runner basically since I was a very little child, since I was six years old. And uh, as many other kids, I started with track and field and cross country and road running. Uh, you know, in Europe, it's not that's like very similar to the United States where there is like a big college system. Uh, you can get involved in sports at school and stuff. So you kind of have to join private clubs and organizations. So for me, like uh, education and sports were always kind of separate. That's why, for example, for university, um, like I, I really concentrated on my studies, uh, on my academic life and not much on running. And it was, well, it was actually like my passion for trail running was born during university, which is kind of unusual because, you know, studying physics took so much energy and time uh, and was so hard to complete this degree uh, that I honestly don't know how I did it, but uh, it was like the time when I started running more consistently and started to achieve some results, uh, travel to some international races, and um, just get involved at different levels uh, in trail running. Yeah. So that's basically me. Um, yeah, and uh, and now I'm I'm pretty grateful for where I am at the moment. Um, I feel I have a lot to learn, uh, a lot to give to the sport. Uh, but it's, it's also been great so far, um, for many, many reasons. Well, thank you for that quick introduction. And I want to go through a lot of that stuff, but one of the things that I've always admired about you is that you are a great professional athlete, but that you do have things outside of training and racing that you do to give back to the sport. And of course, one of those things is the Pro Trail Runners Association, which we'll get around to talking about a little bit later. But you mentioned your academic life. And I wasn't sure where I had originally heard the physicist part of your personality. But since you brought it up, I'd love to hear a little bit more <laughs> about where that interest came from let's start with your physics career what your focus was and how that has potentially uh, augmented the person that you are yeah I, I you know physics probably fascinated me because it's based on very simple ideas and understanding the very basic concepts of, of nature of the world where we live in so i was fascinated by that and uh that's why i started studying physics um and um, like I had a passion for running, of course, but it was something totally different and totally not related to to physics, to to what I was studying. Um, but I think the two passions uh, got along pretty nicely and one probably helped the other um, during my university years. And um I don't know, like the specific subject where I focused was the uh, structure of matter. Um, for example, during uh, my master thesis, I developed um, like a solar cell uh, with a, an electrode that was uh, like built in a particular way for photovoltaics. Um, and then like my trajectory completely changed because after university, uh, I was actually a high school teacher for a couple of years before I decided to basically fully focus on running and uh, on the sport of trail running specifically. 
I was going to ask you if you were a practicing physicist at this point. It sounds like you've pressed pause on that part of your career until later on in life, maybe. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Uh, but I feel like, um, you know, this education has really helped me yeah. being the person I am, uh, the way I look at the world and reality and everything that is or is not related to physics because yeah. like it's it's a frame of mind i like i like to see it this way uh it's not just about you know mathematics and numbers but it's also a way of thinking yeah yeah i think it's interesting and it's been kind of like a running theme on the show over the course of the last few years interacting <laughs> with people who are scientifically oriented who come from kind of an academic career and who find a passion and inspiration out in nature on the trails. And there's this sort of a, I don't know, a connection there that I can't relate to personally as somebody who's not an intellectual and wasn't a particularly academic person, but uh, it's something I really admire about people like you. One of the things that I really want to talk to you about, Francesco, is about the ascent of sub-ultra distance racing and the greater ecosystem of trail running in the u.s sub ultra distance racing is experiencing a bit of a renaissance but in europe it's sort of always been popular and you're one of the best in the world at the sub ultra right. discipline so as somebody who is steeped in that lineage and informed about the history can you just tell us a little bit about the significance and the history of sub ultra distance racing in Europe, mountain running, sky running, et cetera. And uh, before we sort of start talking about the current landscape. Of course, yeah. This is one of the biggest difference that I see uh, in the way that trail running is, is seen and perceived in America and uh, in Europe, of course. Here we have a big tradition in what we call mountain running, which is like short distance mountain races that are usually up to the marathon distance. Um, a lot of them historically are like only up, uphill races. And then those were, those were the, the first races that were born here in the Alps um, that were basically run by the pioneers of mountain running and also sky running. And sky running is like this short distance, very technical races, uh, mostly run on ridges and high alpine terrain. And uh, yeah, when we think about the history of our sport, we always think about, uh, you know, those first runners who ran Kima and the first edition of Sierra Zinal, for example, and many, many other short distance mountain races here in the Alps, um, which... I think is a huge heritage of our sport that not many people know about, but I, you know, especially for people who come to trail and mountain running for, for the first time, I think it's, it's very important to preserve this culture uh, and this heritage of our sport. It's, yeah. uh, it's where it has its roots and without, you know, those races, those, uh, they're, they're, they might they might be small today, but without those races, we might not have UTMB or Lavaredo or other races. You know, yeah, absolutely. And we'll get around to maybe talking a little bit more about how the sub ultra distance racing can help support the growth of ultra distance racing too, because that's something that I think about quite a lot and that I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, everybody in, in sort of this mega long distance trail running category can appreciate about the sub ultra and shorter distance races, but maybe give us a quick state of play from your perspective about the sub ultra distance racing calendar now, because it's starting to feel a little bit confusing. And as somebody who, yeah makes your living in that field. I'd love to hear you talk about it between the Golden Trail World Series, the World Mountain Running Association, Sky Running. Can you give us opinion of your opinion about how that category is operating on a global level right now? Some of the pain points and also some of the positives? True. Yeah, it is it is a bit confusing um with many circuits that are overla overlapping and calendars that are not always uh, well established. So basically, in the state of the sport, uh, as far as sub ultra distances, 
uh, is with the World Mountain Running Association that is organizing the World Mountain Running Cup, which is focused on short distance, non-technical mountain races. Uh, then there is like the, the Golden Toro Series, which is a private organization that is now independent from Salomon. Um, it used to be part of Salomon, but now it's not anymore. Mm. Uh, it's a series of six races. They're a little bit longer than the World Mountain Running Cup, uh, usually between, uh, let's say, 20 and 42 kilometers. Uh, so it's a series of six races plus a final that is different every year. And those are like the most well-known and established races Um in the world, basically, uh, in Europe and in, in the United States, because we have uh, Zagama, Marathon du Mont Blanc in Chamonix, uh, Cierzenal, then uh, a few others like um, Dolomites Run this year uh, yeah. in Italy. Of course, Pikes Peak, Pikes Peak Marathon or the Ascent in Colorado. And yeah. then in 2023, there will be Mammoth Trail Fest in California. So yeah. There is like a four big established races and maybe a couple of new additions uh, every year plus uh, the final. And then there is skyrunning, which was uh, losing a little bit of traction over the past couple of years. Now it seems like uh, they want to they want to invest more and uh, pick up the the circuit again. Um, mm. They've made pretty good investments, so hopefully that will attract some good runners. Um, but it's i feel like it's a slightly different segment of the sport because it's dedicated to the like more that, that the athletes that are more experienced on technical terrains yeah. uh, because the those races are usually very rugged yeah. um very hard with a high elevation to distance uh, ratio and very technical terrain very exposed and i feel it should be this way because um then there would be no reason for skyrunning races to exist because it yeah. would be the same as trail running or the golden trail series yeah. so i think there is room for everyone as long as the calendars are like well established and uh in order to not to dilute the the level of those competitions you know um and then as long as they develop the sport in a healthy way. I think it's it's great to have those circuits and series. How has the density of competition evolved in sub-ultra distance racing over the last five years? Because it feels to me that the most competitive races in the world now are happening between 20 and 45K. Would you agree with that? Um, yeah, I I definitely do. Um, I feel like, you know, Zagama, Cerzinal in particular, um Marathon du Mont Blanc are the most competitive races. Um there but even are like some... the Pikes Peak ascent this year was ridiculous. Yeah, it was it was yeah. really good. Um, you know, maybe something that um on the American side people are not used to and we're a little more used to here in Europe is to have that type of density at every race that we go to. And that's one really good thing about um uh, you know, being a trail runner here in Europe, like every race that I go, there is, you know, Remy Bonnet or Davide Magnini or some, you know, big names. And it's normal, you know, it's never easy to go there and just uh, be sure of your result because you have to fight for every second, every position, <laughs> which yeah. is good. Uh, it, you know, it makes you grow and nothing is um, is taken for granted. That's one um, of the things that I, I've been trying to emphasize on the podcast. I recently had Bailey Kowalczyk on the show who finished sixth at Sears and all. And I made a point to say that sixth at Sears and all this year is as good as winning it's ridiculous. basically 99% of races globally. So, yeah. And that's why, you know, for example, the work that you're doing uh, in promoting this, this type of culture among people uh, that maybe are not involved directly in those competitions is, is very important because they, grow like you're growing the sport uh from well, i mean i, I like side. to i like to talk about it because i think it's a fantastic product as a spectator and as a fan and mm -hmm. maybe circling back to the golden trail world series i'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about this because i feel like in the u.s as we've mentioned now a couple of times ultra running has always gotten more media attention and therefore probably more sort of enthusiasm from participants um across the board and i think the golden trail world series has really 
changed that to a large degree, especially this year coming to the U.S. and having two races, one at Pikes Peak and the other in Flagstaff on back-to-back weekends, bringing a lot of the best European athletes to American soil to race these sub-ultra distance races went a long way. I'd love to hear you talk about how the Golden Trail World Series has specifically moved sub-ultra into this next generation, but also expand on its separation from Solomon, because I don't think that's something that the general audience or the passive observer really recognizes yet. Yes. So I think the game changer for the Golden Trail series has been communication. They made huge investments in communication, uh, especially on social media and race coverage, and they did a really good job in in that, uh, we must admit. Um, that has been crucial for the growth of this segment of the sport. And, um, you know, compared, for example, to the Wartman Running Cup that gets way less funding, for example, and has remained relatively small, still with, a you know, some really good competition, but way smaller in terms of communication and investments. That has been the, the biggest difference, I think. And uh, the idea behind that is that with more communication, with more media opportunities, so comes the professionalization of the sport, of the figure, of the athletes, but also uh, of the people, race organizers, um, you know, media coverage and everything that is related to setting up a race series like that, um, which, you know, I think is is, is normal. Uh, it's it's uh, like growing a business um, in, in the sport. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. And, um, you know, the fact that it, the Golden Trail Series is now separating from Salomon, I think is is good. Uh, it's good that uh, it's becoming, like it's, it's still going to be sponsored by Salomon. But uh, for example, the the team manager, Greg Bollet, so, sorry, the, the, the race series manager, Greg Bollet, um, will not be involved with Salomon anymore. And that is probably a good thing for the sport because the, the series will become independent and that will probably attract other investors and brands, yeah. which they probably fear that being a Salomon thing, they wouldn't get the exposure they that they could if that series was still part of Salomon, for example. Mm. And, um, you know, the way people... So the Golden Tour Series, especially the first couple of years, um, it started in 2018, was that it was mainly dedicated to Salomon athletes, which yeah. is now not true anymore. Because if you just think, if you just look at the results from last year and uh, the race winners, you know we have uh, Ninka Brinkman from Nike, Ali McLaughlin from On Running, yeah. um, of course Remy Bonnet. Um, we have Sophia, Sophia Lockley, uh, from, from Salomon again, uh, Killian, uh, from normal. So, you know, a lot of different athletes from different brands participating, um, which increases the the level of the competition and the variety. So there is no reason to think. I think that came through this year and that it didn't feel as much like a Solomon exclusive show and Greg Vallee say what you want about him. He's been a fantastic operator on both the athlete front running the Solomon international team for all these years, but also on the media side, developing so much of Solomon's content creation over the last 15 years that has really inspired a generation of athletes, myself included, and now yeah. exiting Solomon and focusing 100% on the Golden Trail World Series. I'm very excited to see the future of that race series. Yeah, you know, I, you can criticize Golden Trail Series for, for many things probably, but it's also true that they brought far more things that are so good for our sport. So I feel like the Golden Trail Series has been a huge project and yeah. very successful. So. And grateful that we have it in our sport. Yeah. Before we move off this topic, and I really appreciate your perspectives, I'd love to maybe dig into sky running a little bit more. You mentioned yeah. that it felt like they had maybe lost a little bit of the impact and influence that they had had over the past 40 years, really. And it seems that now they're making a new reinvestment in their operation. I saw on their website that 
it says they're under new management and that they're going to have a hundred thousand euros in prize money this year. Is there anything else you want to say to expand on sky running as it moves into this next generation? Yeah, I've never been that involved into sky running because I'm not that good on technical terrain. Uh, <laughs> but I, you know, the first time I came in contact with a, a mountain race it was a sky race and killian was leading and i met him when i was like 13 or 14 years old and i didn't know who he was and then later i found out I, it was killian uh winning uh dolomite sky race in the dolomites so it was a pretty cool experience and you know people like uh fabio meraldi or uh, marco de gasperi from from italy those historic uh big names that have made the legends of the sport. They all come from sky running. Um, So it's, it's important that those races are, you know, have their circuits, uh, their, their champions, their athletes. um, And it feels like, you know, they've made a pretty decent investment uh, in in the sport. So it will be another segment uh, that is worth following. Yeah. It contributes to the confusion that the consumer feels not really understanding all these different <laughs> race series. Even myself, who fancies myself an I expert, know. gets a little confused sometimes. But sky running we're not doing the, Yeah, we're not doing a very good job at making our sport very understandable. <laughs> which is part of what uh, the, the Runner Association is working on, <laughs> which we'll, we'll get to around to talking to shortly. But yeah, I just feel that sky running, you know, it has the brand, it has the history. And so if they can kind of get the operations thing figured out and start building a little bit of momentum again, they'll be in competition with the golden trail world series, but there's no reason why they can't both coexist and be successful simultaneously. Yeah. It's important to say that uh, they're also under a different federation. Uh, Mm -hmm. Trail running is under technically under the world athletics umbrella and sky running is separate. They yeah. took a different direction. So they have their own federation, the yeah. National Sky Running Federation. Even more confusing. <laughs> the Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Best Day Brewing, the non alcoholic option I will be reaching for during dry January and the rest of 2023. If you're like me, you love a cold beer with friends after a long run or after a hard day at work. And if you're also like me, you realize that alcohol, even in small quantities, takes a toll on your physical and psychological energy, and that taking a break can help take your game to the next level. I am convinced that my six weeks off the booze before Hard Rock in 2021 was a big reason why I felt so good during that training block and so good on race day. And I just discovered Best Day Brewing while I was at my cousin's wedding in Sacramento, and it it has become my favorite non-alcoholic beer, and it is brewed for doers like you and me. Finally, a full flavor, full body, full aroma craft beer without the alcohol to slow us down. I know you guys are going to love this product, so I wanted to challenge you, the thousands of free trail listeners out there. Join me for dry January, abstaining from alcohol for the first month of the year to start 2023 on the right foot together. I've been doing dry January for almost a decade, and Best Day will be my go-to beverage after a hard training session when I'm out socializing or chilling at home with my wife. My favorite Best Day is the West Coast IPA, but they also make a Kolsch and a Hazy IPA, which are equally delicious and refreshing. Check them out at bestdaybrewing.com. Use code DRY20 for 20% off. You can also use Dry Ship for free shipping. And go follow them on Instagram at Best Day Brewing, America's next big beer company, I am convinced. Stay dry, stay happy with me this January. Tag me in your Best Day Instagram stories, and I will be sure to reshare. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition, the first brand to ever believe in free trail. So if you are surprised and happy that we still exist, well, we are too. And much of that is thanks to Gnarly Nutrition. Gnarly has a ridiculously robust offering of products to power your training and recovery. And today I want to tell you about the Gnarly Protein products to augment and improve your post-run routine and to help kickstart your recovery for the next training session. Gnarly Vegan and Gnarly Wave provide two 
two high quality options for omnivorous and plant-based athletes alike. One of the great things I did in 2022 was start having a recovery shake after hard workouts and long runs, something that's nutrition 101 and certainly not rocket science, but even old dogs can learn new tricks, including myself. I started having a protein shake, mixing gnarly whey with almond milk immediately after hard training sessions and definitely noticed an improvement in my recovery. Combine that with the BCAAs before exercise and you are living the high performance nutrition lifestyle. Check out Gnarly at gonarly.com. Use code freetrail15 for 15% off your order. Gonarly.com. Use code freetrail15. Back to the show. Let's talk about your career, Francesco. Um, All right. Where are you viewing yourself currently at the moment? You're sort of the classic hashtag any surface, any distance type guy who can compete across the board. Where are you feeling your strongest competitively and where are you finding your biggest motivation at the moment? Yeah, I probably find my biggest motivation in trying different things, trying new things, exploring our sport across any distance and any terrain. Um, you know, I've started from very short races because coming from a track and field background, it made sense that I tried, uh, you know, short distance, mostly uphill races, uh, at first, that's how I got involved in the sport. And now I'm progressing towards, uh, longer distances. Uh, and the idea is that I will, you know, try my first, I've, I've run a 50 K before, but, uh, I've not really, um, I've never really raised a, an ultra distance. So that is for sure. Part of my plans for these or the next years. Um, but, uh, the, the distance that I see myself most competitive at is, uh, around the marathon distance. And it's where I've historically had my best results including for example the second place at the world tour running championship this year uh with two for the other... second time finishing on the podium at the world championship it's pretty darn yeah in 2019 it was behind uh jim wamsley yeah. in patagonia and then this year it was behind uh stian angermund so two great champions uh, <laughs> two great got champions. in my way <laughs> Well, I, I want to talk about the world championships here in just a minute. Um, but I'd love to also hear you talk about this variety that you apply to your running and what benefit you've seen from it. Like you're a 216 marathoner. Before we hit record, you said you were about to start your sort of cross-country season there mm -hmm. in Europe. And I've spoken to a few people about this, about variety and that being something that helps keep you fresh and motivated throughout the season. Can you say a few words about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, my main goals are for sure on the trails. Um, but I also like to compete across a variety of distances and terrains, including cross country and road running. Um, in 2021, I, I focused on marathon training for one season and I ran 216, which is a decent time for a trail runner. Uh, I think a very good time for anybody yeah. <laughs> that helps, you know, it helps me, yeah, for sure, staying motivated, but it it's also really useful for the preparation that I do for, for trail running. I'm not someone that needs to run a thousand meters of elevation every day in order to be competitive in the mountains. Uh, a lot of my workouts are based on, on the flat, on flat, on the roads. Um, my training is pretty much based on a classic marathon uh, on a classic marathon preparation. And, you know, that shows that everybody can be a trail runner. If you don't, even if you don't live in the Alps or in Colorado, in the Rocky mountains, whatever, because with a few adjustments and like knowing where you're going, what you're doing, you can train pretty much for any distance. Yeah. It's funny. I remembering back to, I think it was like in 2015 or 2016, I raced a cross-country season in the fall here in the San Francisco Bay Area leading up to the North Face 50-mile championship. And it was the fittest I've ever been and the best <laughs> I've ever felt in a race was coming off of four or five cross-country races throughout that fall. And it's just amazing how 
that sport in particular, that discipline of running in particular really translates to trail and mountain performance. So I'm looking yeah. forward to now, now moving back to the San Francisco Bay area, starting to get my butt kicked by the, uh, the fast local cross country runners again. So. Exactly. I think it's very important to get your butt kicked. Sometimes it keeps you humble. Uh, you know, this, this weekend I'm going to the Campracho cross country, which is, a which is part of the world cross, cross country tour. Yeah. Uh, Kipchoge has ran Campacho cross before. Uh, so there will be a bunch of really fast guy and I will probably fight for the 20th position, but it's good. You know, it's all great work for the upcoming yeah. season and, uh, I'm just looking forward to it. <laughs> so let's talk about your 2022 season. It seems like it was a year of highs and lows. You just mentioned that you finished second at the world championship in November, but before that, it seemed like you were dealing with some health issues. I think you broke your elbow twice if i'm not mistaken so maybe before we get to the triumph of thailand let's first talk about the injury what was it that you suffered and sort of maybe what did you learn through that process yeah before people lose count of the fractures that i had last year (laughs) um yeah you know it started with a with breaking my elbow last year after a race, I was like walking down the trail and I fell and I broke my elbow, my, sorry, my wrist. And then uh, I, I managed to win the Golden Trail Series final last year, which was another highlight of my career. But then after that, I had to stop because I had like a an injury going on. Um, I had to take care of a problem uh, related to my hip. And I was cross training with the bike and I fell and I broke my left elbow. So basically that's when the nightmare started. Uh, the recovery was really painful and took a very, very long time. And uh, when I was back running around March uh, or April last year, um, you know, I wanted to get fit for the trail season, but uh, a couple of months later, I fell on the trail and I bro- broke the same elbow again. So I had to go through another surgery and another recovery process, which uh, luckily was much quicker than the first one, mm-hmm. but still took a lot of energy and a lot of, you know, of, of, of time. Uh, I felt like I had a good momentum, which uh, this new accident uh, pretty much stopped. Mm-hmm. So... It was hard mentally. It was probably one of the hardest moments in my my career. Um, but uh, now, you know, looking back, I'm I'm grateful of what I've learned from that experience. I've learned to reach out to other people to ask for help um, to work on on my mental health, which is just as important as my physical health. Yeah. And um, I feel lucky that I had the support of some great people that I have in my life. So, you know, I, somehow I managed to recover. Um, I came to the United States and I was very, very inspired by the races that I did. I competed in Pikes Peak Ascent and then Flags of Sky Peaks, but even more inspired I was by, by the nature, by the landscape, by the space that you guys have. And we don't have here in Europe because everything is so much smaller. Um, but that gave me a lot of energy. I made, uh, I met some amazing people. So yeah. when I went back to, when I went back home, I could really focus on training and then, you know, show up, uh, with, uh, some really good fitness at the world trail running championship in Thailand and, uh, come in second place. Well, we were happy to have the golden trail world series contingent come to American soil this year. And hopefully, you'll be back with that group for Pikes Peak Ascent and the Mammoth Trail Fest in 2023, but we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. The World Championship, what an awesome freaking run, man. <laughs> Especially the second time that you're finishing second there. I'm sure you're sort of like, man, I uh, I need to get a, get a gold medal here again. But uh, 40K race at the World Championship in, in Thailand, you were behind Stian Angermoon, you just mentioned, and then in front of Jonathan Albin and just behind him was Max King. So it was a savage podium that you found yourself in the mix of. Tell us about that experience. What? Uh, tell us about how, how the race unfolded and what your feelings are in its aftermath. Yeah, you know, I wasn't 100% sure of my fitness. Uh, 
I had done some good training and some decent racing. I was fifth in Pikes Peak, for example, which was okay. Um, but I, it wasn't like I had my best preparation leading up to this championship. But uh, I was confident because uh, probably because I had beaten my opponents uh, at least once before. And then I don't know, like championship races always represent something special for me. Uh, I compete for my country. It's not that I don't put the same effort in other races that I do just for myself or for my sponsor, but it's just a different feeling that is hard to describe if you're not there. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I had nothing to lose. Um, I was trying to imagine the days before the race, how I wanted to run, you know, first part, just try to stay in control and hopefully be in front of the race. And then when I found myself in that actual situation, everything became easier. And, uh, we started the first climb, uh, with, uh, Stian, John and Max all together. Then the first downhill was really fast. Uh, Max was pushing the pace. And then at halfway, uh, it was, uh, basically the key point of the race, uh, the bottom of the second climb, um, Stian made a move and I wasn't able to follow, but, uh, after that I was able to drop, uh, both uh, Max and uh, and John on the yeah. second big climb, and then I was able to secure the second place on the second um, very like really long downhill to the yeah. finish. Uh, I had uh, John behind me, which wasn't the uh, you know the best feeling because he's such a good <laughs> yeah. downhealer. But uh, very fast down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's very good in technical terrain. The that downhill was still pretty fast. Um, and there were a couple of smaller climbs, which probably saved, uh, saved, you, saved yeah. my life. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, it was great to come, uh, home congratulations, with, uh, with man. Silver medal. well-earned silver medal and probably a really good feeling after the trifecta of fractures that you had been through in the 12 months preceding the race. But I'd love to hear you talk sort of circling back to your commentary as an informed participant on this stuff, how you felt the trail and mountain running world championship was in Thailand, because as a spectator, again, it felt like a big step forward in combining yeah. the trail world champs with the mountain running world champs with the media that they put together in live streaming. It was a really great, well-packaged experience for us who were consuming it digitally and from afar what was your experience like there? And, you know, as we move towards talking about the trail runner association, sort of like, what do you think they could do to ensure that it remains relevant in the greater context of the competitive landscape? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, honestly, uh, I was pretty skeptic before those championship because I feel that federations and uh, institutional championship, they, at least I'm talking about trail running, uh, there used, there, there's always been um, world championships specifically for mountain running short distance races, which have always been very meaningful for that segment of the sport. But for trail running, I think the federations have always failed to um, intercept the true value spirit and best athletes of the sport that have historically always been more attracted by other big races and circuits. And it's, it's not a secret, you know, UTMB, Western States and many other big races, but the participation this year was actually pretty good. Like, uh, if you look at data, for example, if you take the average, uh, ITRA points of the top 10 of those championship is comparable to UTMB uh, or CCC or Western States, for example, which shows yeah. that the competition was really good. Um, I think there is a long way to go in the way that, that, uh, they, uh, you know, commute, like communicate those championship because communication was basically not taken care of. Um, there was Iron Far, uh, on side another, you know, media companies and journalists and just people talking about it. But 
from their side, from like a, an institutional side, there was basically nothing. And I think it's not acceptable in 2022 to, yeah. to have a championship like that. But, you know, the situation is definitely improving. The fact that we have a combined event with trail and mountain running is great. Um, there is not much overlap in between one event and the other, but it's cool that many different athletes with different backgrounds meet all together for one event. So yeah. I think those championships can find a space that is uh, important on both sides of the sport, um, but they have to work with uh, all the other uh, organizations and circuits involved in the sport, not yeah. just uh, like also the private ones. And that's one reason why we have established the Pro Trail Runner Association, for example. Great segue. Let's talk about that <laughs> now. But yeah, I mean, just to finish my point, I think, I guess, yeah. uh, I hope they build on that momentum for next year. It's unfortunate yeah. that the world championships is going to be in June next year, because I think that will dilute the competitive field just because we'll be getting into at least in North America, sort of like the Western States season and the golden ticket races, et cetera. And people will be preserving themselves for UTMB. And I feel like the world trail and mountain running world championship fits really well at the end of the season, although it would have to be yeah. held or hosted in a place like Thailand that is free from snow and bad weather for <laughs> most of the year. So anyway, I hope they are able to deliver a similar high quality product for us fans next June in Austria is where it's going to be held. So let's spend the yes. rest of our time talking about the pro trail runners association. This was sort of the main reason why I wanted to have you on the show. Now, of course, it's fun to talk about all this other stuff and I really appreciate all your insights, but the pro trail runner association is something that you were instrumental in founding. So maybe as we move into this subject matter, just first give a broad explanation of what the Pro Trail Runner Association is and what the mission is. Yes. So the Pro Trail Runner Association is a nonprofit organization that was uh, was founded by a group of professional athletes or elite athletes, um, about 150 of them. And uh, the goal is to make sure that trail running and mountain running have a bright future and that the values that make our sport so special are preserved. And also to work on some issues that our sport currently has, uh, especially from our side, that is uh, the pro side of the sport, that I think is, is important to, to preserve and to understand because it's the one that pushes the sport forward, basically. Um, you know, I've always been a huge supporter of free trail because one of its missions is to push the boundaries and preserve the spirit of trail running, but also, also showcase the talent of the professional athletes. So I really find myself in that type of mission. And it's something that we also want to do with the Pro Trail Running Association. We basically want to focus on, you know, four main uh, areas. One is anti-doping. Um, there is still a lot that can be done in order to ensure a cleaner and uh, more fair competition. Uh, we also want to work on competitions, calendars, and championship to make sure that, uh, you know, for example, there is with so many circuits and events, uh, the level is not too much diluted and the federation and circuits are at least talking to each other, uh, sitting down at the table when they're deciding their calendars, which is something that seems so basic, but it's never been done probably. Yeah. Um, also work on athletes' rights when it comes to, um, for example, equity, but also diversity, uh, accessibility to races, uh, contracts, maternity leaves, uh, sponsorship values. We would love to have, for example, uh, a minimum contractual value depending on the athlete's performance level. Um, so it's something that we will work on. And then um, environment and uh, our social responsibility as athletes. It's important to always have that clear as the key value 
of uh, the way like, of why we are athletes and the way we compete. So, um, you know, addressing our carbon footprint and uh, make sure that circuits and race organizers also respect some standards. Uh, it's something that we feel it's important. It's a big job and there's a lot to do. And that has become evident yeah. with all the materials yeah. that you guys have aggregated. It makes me want to have you say a few words about the origin story too, because you mentioned the 130 or 150 athletes who are signed on as members now, but for the most part, it started with three people, yourself included. So tell us about that and what made you guys feel that now was the time to bring this into existence? Yes. Um, you know, we, we must say it's, it started during the pandemic uh, with Kylian Journet, who sent a, an email to a group of athletes, probably about 100 of them. We tried to set up uh, the first pro trail running organization, but then things got difficult um, because it was too much confusing. And then basically the, the project stopped. And then Killian reached out to me once again uh, this summer. It was after Serzinal when um, Mark Angago, the the winner, the former winner, was disqualified for doping. Yeah. And uh, he mentioned, "Hey, Francesco, we should do something because um, you know with this uh, terrible news, um, we should do some. We should do something for our sport and try to to push uh, one more time for." an athlete organization, um, you know, to, to make sure that this situation don't happen again, for example. Mm -hmm. So I was, uh, of course, very positive. And, um, we also asked to Pascal Egli, uh, who is a Swiss trail and schemo athlete to, to help us in setting up the organization that is based, uh, is set up in Switzerland actually. Um, and we started to put together some documents and some work before we reached out to you know, to all the athletes across the world. Um, and uh, we got a great response from them because like everyone pretty much joined. Um, you can see the list of athletes uh, on the website and it's, it's pretty much all the big names in the sport, yeah. which uh, is something that we're really proud of. And um, we had our first general assembly in December and people were really supportive and uh, excited about like, this project. There was more than a hundred people on the call that day, weren't yeah. there? I, I couldn't make it. I was on an airplane, but I watched the recording of it after the fact. And it was yeah, the response from the community of professional athletes has been yes. immense. Can you say a few more words about Killian? Because I think this is somewhat remarkable that the greatest it's of all really time remarkable. has made this his mission and part of his legacy is to set up the next generation to not only make a good living, but to keep the spirit and values of the sport intact. You want to expand on that? Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a, this is huge. Like a, it's a, it's very important to understand that Killian's Killian is someone that has had pretty much anything he wanted from, from the sport is one pretty much any race you know, what else can he ask from a sport that is giving him almost everything or everything literally, but, you know, he's still there striving at the top of the game, uh, as we've seen in 2022 and, uh, working to ensure a better future for our sport, which is something that I really care about. So I don't have enough words to describe, uh, how, how much respect I have for, for him as an athlete, but also as a person. And, uh, I think it's so important that he made, uh, yeah, this, this association. Yeah. I mean, just his credibility and his stature as an athlete gives the organization, the association, just tons of credibility. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I'm really excited. We'll get around to talking about the the rest of the crew, yourself included, who are on the board. But before we get there, I'd love to, you mentioned the four main topics that the association is focused on anti-doping athlete rights, the sort of confusing competitive environment we've talked about, and also environmental concerns. And athletes maybe, rights. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, uh, 
shine a little light on how you determine what you want to work on? Because as I understand it, as a member myself and reading through the materials, there's sort of a, a way that members that being professional athletes can propose projects that the greater whole of the organization focus on in a current year. Can you explain that process? Yes. So basically, uh, if you're a member of the association, if you meet the criteria to enter the association, you can pretty much get involved as much as you want. Um, you can volunteer to be part of some projects and uh, you can submit uh, your ideas or also if you have a problems to the general board, which is made up by seven people, including myself. And um, that will be pretty much the, the core of the association, taking care of all the different uh, topics, issues, and uh, areas that we want to focus on. And then we will, ha we will have a general secretary. It will, be, it will be paid by the association uh, to take care of the everyday tasks because uh, after all, like we are athletes, we cannot expect to have the time and the energy to, to devote to this project uh, every single day, 100%. So I think it's important to have at least someone uh, on the first year to take care of this occupation. And, you know, we hope that will expand in the future and to be able to to hire more people to to work for for the association but i feel like for now it's a it's a good starting point uh people seem to be very motivated and uh we will be forming working groups to to discuss about the project and uh carry on with the work thank you so now say a few words about I mean, you just mentioned sort of the structure Now there's seven board members. Do you want to just give them a quick shout out along with the general secretary? I don't know if this is public knowledge yet. So if it's not, we don't need to go there, but I'd love to at least give that recognition to the people who are in the leadership positions. Yeah, I can give you the name of the members of the general board. So it will be me, Pascal Egli, and then Paul, Paul Capel, uh, Esther Zilak, which is uh, from a trail runner from Hungary living in Hong Kong. Uh, we have Kathleen Jerbin from the United States, uh, Fred Tranchon from uh, France, and uh, Corinne Malcolm, of course. Malcolm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty great group of board members there. And uh, can you say a few words about the general secretary who you mentioned is going to be an actual professional position, a paid position? Because after this, I want to talk about the funding strategy behind it yes yeah uh, the general secretary will be a paid position and uh, he will not be a pro athlete so someone that has a good understanding and knowledge of the sport but that can work for for us for our interests and carry on with our projects basically and we feel it's important to have a, a separate figure to to work for the association um, because that not, doesn't need to be an athlete, of course. Um, yeah. it, you know, it's it's someone that will need to go to the federations, the circuits, UTMB, uh, whatever, to to discuss our projects and uh, to to make sure that the parties talk to each other. For example, yeah. it's the equivalent of Demoris Smith for our NFL, our professional football audience, who's <laughs> the executive director of the. Uh, players association in the NFL. So uh, it's a very important, very important job. Are we allowed to identify who this individual is or is that still? Probably not yet. Yeah. Not yet. Okay, cool. I won't, uh, won't, uh, you know, divulge any uh, confidential information. So talking about the funding, this is something that I'm sure people will have questions about that's important to just touch on here as we sort of bring more of this information into the public domain. Um, I know there's a philosophy to ensure the integrity of the mission and obviously the, you know, financial considerations can in some cases corrupt that integrity. And so there's been a lot of consideration put into the funding of the Pro Trail Runners Association. Can you explain that? Yes, we basically want to stay independent from uh, any sponsor or private organization, and we will remain a nonprofit organization. Um, 
the funding will be based uh, on donations and uh, events that uh, we will create with pro athletes because you know after all we have a great value in being a group of the top athletes in the world um there is a lot of things that we can do um and i feel also that there is a community that wants to support what we want to do because uh, it's important to understand that we're not working against anyone, against any circuit or organization or federation. We want to work together with them to uh, ensure the best in our sport. And also the consequences of our work, the impacts uh, of our projects and choices um, will be not just for the members of the association association but for everyone so we will be devoting our energy and time into this project but the the benefits will be for for all the people which is yeah. something that is important to to understand um and you know it's it's actually not my job to to um you know set up the financial aspects of the association it will be the general secretary uh who will take care of this um so this is what i can say for now yeah well thanks for saying that i think it is important to mention that this association is not meant to be in conflict with any yes. race organization or any brand etc it's to advocate for the interests of the professional athletes but more importantly to advocate for the interests of the sport in general, to make sure that we preserve the values that we all love about trail running. Any uh, action items or ways that people can get involved who are listening to the podcast now, aside from directing them to the website? Yes, we will be setting up a donation page uh, very soon where people can support us. And then I think just, uh, you know, talking about it and, uh, reach out if you have any questions uh, or anything is uh, is important. And um, yeah, that's all I can think for, for the moment. Who wrote the history of trail running article that's on the website now? I think it's Killian. It's a, I think it's a huge work and it's uh, amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll link to I the website uh, and to this article in the show notes yes. so people can give it a read that makes it even everyone better. should give it a read because uh it's the culture of our sport the history of our sport and it's uh, comprehensive yes, yes it's, it's really, very really comprehensive nice. well awesome francesco man it's been so fun to to have you on the show and get to know you and you're so well considered on all these different topics in addition to being a great athlete yourself before i let you go you teased earlier that maybe over the course of the next couple of years you might be getting into some longer distance stuff even though we spent the bulk of our conversation talking about why sub ultra distance racing is fantastic so maybe tell us about what you're planning for and training for for 2023 and what your goals are in the future yeah you know as i've mentioned my my goal is to explore our sport as a whole from the shorter to the longer distances um the more i grow the more i feel attracted by the longer distances um so it's for sure part of my programs to step into the ultra distances and um i haven't made specific plans yet um for this year the only thing that i know is that i would like to go back to zagama where i feel like i have uh, unfinished businesses from last year um then possibly i will run a utmb qualifier to either qualify for occ or ccc um i will not be competing in the short trail distance at the world championship because i feel like repeating uh you know, another race so close to the one that I did in Thailand uh, is not that much of an interest for me. So yeah. I will be, pro I will probably be focusing on the short uphill race, short distance, uh, like Ali McLaughlin did, for example. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. So that leaves uh, the summer pretty open to to other options. Um, I'm planning the calendar with my coach and my sponsors. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. And uh, I feel like 
you know, there's there will be some changes this year. I will still be competing in some classic uh, races, um, Tagama, Sirzina, and most likely also in the two uh, U.S. stages of the Golden Trail Series. But then there is also room for new things. Good. No broken bones in 2023. That's the goal yeah, number that's one. Goal. <laughs> Well, Francesco, man, it's been great to have you on the show. Thanks for enlightening us about sub-ultra distance racing and especially about the Pro Trail Runners Association. I'll put links in the show notes so people can learn more and get involved. Hope you have a happy new year. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thanks so much to Francesco. I really enjoyed that conversation, really like him and his attitude towards the sport. If you don't follow him already, I would encourage you to do so. I put a link to Francesco's Instagram account in the show notes, so go smash that follow button. I also linked to the Pro Trail Runners Association and to the History of Trail Running article that we referenced in the episode. Again, Francesco has a podcast too called Running Long. I linked to that in the podcast show notes as well. Free Trail Pro Member let me know what you thought of the convo hop in slack share your comments and feedback from the show if you're not a member sign up now there's a link to sign up in the show notes or you can visit freetrail.com a big thank you to our sponsor speedland run speedland.com use code freetrail10 for 10% off your purchase of my new signature shoe the GS Tam gnarly nutrition go gnarly.com use code freetrail15 for 15% off the best nutrition products on the market And finally, Best Day Brewing. So excited about this partnership as we do dry January again. I'm so into this amazing non-alcoholic beer company. Pick up a six-pack at bestdaybrewing.com. Use code DRY20 for 20% off. And if you tag me in your dry January Instagram stories, I will be sure to reshare. Let's do this sober thing together. That's it for this one. Hope you're all enjoying the first few days of 2023, setting your goals and resolutions. It's going to be a big year for all of us. LFG. Love you so much. Talk soon. Bye-bye.